This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Are you sick and tired of biased hockey talk? Then you have come to the right place. The Drop focuses on the St. Louis Blues, but we also delve into other news from around the NHL. So tell the ref you don't mind the game misconduct penalty. You were headed to the locker room anyway to listen to The Drop. Here's your host, Lance Descott. That is right, guys. It is time for another episode of The Drop Podcast. This is a very special episode. You know, last year we started a new segment called A View from the Crease with Hall of Fame goaltender and former Blue Grant Fuhr. It is time for another one of those episodes. I was able to sit down with him last week at the end of the week, talk about restricted free agents, talk about Mitch Marner's contract, and of course, the St. Louis premiere of Making Coco, the Grant Fuhr story. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this special episode. It's time for a view from the crease with former Blue and NHL Hall of Famer goalie Grant Fuhr. That's right, guys. It's time for another episode of A View from the Crease with Grant Fuhr, and we always appreciate his time. Grant, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks, Lance. Well, there's been so much that's happened since the last time we talked. The Blues have won the Stanley Cup. There's been a stalemate when it comes to the RFAs. We've got a lot to talk about with your uh, St. Louis premiere of Making Coco. But but before we get into that, let's go ahead and talk about Mitch Marner's contract. Um, Were you shocked at the amount of money he got? And how are the Maple Leafs going to be able to move forward when they've got basically four guys now making $40 million? Uh, Not a lot of room left on the salary cap. No, the contract's kind of tough on a salary cap, but at the same time, he's earned his money. I mean, I, if I'm not mistaken, he's led the Leafs in scoring the last couple of years, or at least in points. So, unfortunately, the way this, the salary structure is set up, guys are going to make their money. And when you've got an Austin Matthews, you've got a John Tavares on the team, you've got to pay them. So, Marner fits right in that group. Yeah, I, I, I think he's a great talent. I just think it's going to be hard for them, especially with injuries. If they have any significant injuries, it's going to be hard for them to to really do very many moves. And yeah, I, like I said, I love Mitch Marner, but I've been looking at some of the stats. And if you look at quality scoring chances when players are on the ice, he was actually fourth on his team, which, you know, he's on a very good team, especially up at top. But I always thought that he was more of a nine and a half million dollar guy. And I think that's what uh, Dubas wanted to pay him. But I think Dubas really lost a lot of negotiating uh, power when it came to Marner by the way he handled the the uh, Nylander opportunity uh, by kind of giving in to him. You know, I know it was December. It was a December 1st, I believe, when they signed him. But I think in all honesty, if they would have let him set, it would have showed people like Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner that Kyle Dubas was going to have the upper hand. And I think maybe he lost that with his pre- previous negotiations. Well, it's not so much as you lose control of it. What happens is you've set a pre- you've got to set a premium for the younger guys. And everybody looks at what you, each other's getting. I mean, when we were young back in the 80s, you didn't know what anybody else was making. Whereas the, guy, the guys now all know what everybody's making. So the players actually have a little bit of the upper hand when it comes to that. And 
you look around the league and you see what other guys are making, what contracts were signed, and you kind of slot yourself in where you think you fit. And that's what guys are doing now. And unfortunately for the Leafs, now that they've got the four guys making that kind of money, if they get a couple of injuries along the way, say something happens to a Frederick Anderson or they lose somebody on the D, they're going to have a hard time replacing that. Sure they will. And, you know, I I think the Leafs are in a catch-22, especially Kyle Dubas, when it comes to giving Mitch Marner his money or not giving him the money and sticking with, I think it was an initial 9.5 for six years they offered him. And I might be a little bit off on that. Um, you know, you, you, you've got to bring your best players there and you've got to do what you can do to get these guys signed. But like I said, he's in a catch-22. If he signs Marner and they don't win a cup, people are going to say, well, you signed him, you've got all these high high-priced guys and you didn't win. If they wouldn't have signed him and they didn't win a cup, then everybody would be saying, well, it's Kyle Dubas' fault he didn't sign him. So he was really in a catch-22 when it came with his signing. Yeah, I mean, that's the unfortunate part of GMs now, that you're stuck in the middle. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. But now that he's got them signed, the onus is on the players. I mean, he's giving them the money, now they've got to go out and perform. So I think it shifts all the risk management onto the player. If he has a bad year, people are going to crucify him for making all the money. So it it's on the players now to go out and perform. And if you look at their team, they're going to have to win in the now. They can't delay it to the future. Yeah, I, I fully agree. And, and and like I said, he was just at a rock and a hard place. But if you look recently at the teams that have won the Stanley Cup, you've got a couple high-priced players. Uh, you know, the Blues don't have a lot of high-priced guys. You've got O'Reilly and Tarasenko making the most money, but they've got a balanced lineup, and you and I have talked about that with the Oilers. You know, they've got the three great guys that score and pass that they've got nothing. I just think Toronto's going to have a heck of a time if they have injuries and they won't be able to move and do anything. Oh, I totally agree. They're gonna, their premise now is they're all based off of everybody staying healthy for a run through the playoffs. And in an 82-game schedule, with all the travel and everything jammed together, it's hard to stay healthy for 82 games. So they're they're basically one injury away from a disaster. Sure, and it's going to affect other guys because you, you look at guys like uh, Matthew Kachuk, and then you look at Braden Point uh, down in uh, Tampa, and then you look at guys like Rantanen in Colorado, how can Colorado justify paying Rantanen a lot, you know, a lot more money than Nathan McKinnon? Uh, Nathan McKinnon, in my mind, is definitely their top player. And then you've got the Flames and Matthew Kachuk. They've only got so much money. You've got Johnny Hockey making, I think, about six, seven, five. And if I'm not mistaken, the Flames only have about seven and a half, eight million dollars less on the cap, and it may be a little bit less than that. It may be closer to six and a half. How do these teams now? get these restricted free agents to sign these team-friendly either long-term contracts or team-friendly short-term contracts? Well, that's going to be the problem. I mean, I think in the future, you're going to start to see those long-term deals disappear where you're going to get teams signing guys for one or two years. They're going to get less money, but more in bonuses. So they're going to have to perform to get their money. And that's the way it used to be. I mean, it used to be you had to earn your money. And guys are trying to get those seven, eight, nine-year deals now. And I can see it slowly trickling back to where teams aren't going to want to send guys to long-term deals. They're going to want that one- or two-year deal and say, okay, that's fine. Go out and earn it. 
Yeah, I remember in the 80s, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of those deals were two to three years. There were some guys that got four years, but you never heard of a seven, eight-year deal back then. Oh, no. I mean, in our team in Edmonton, I think the longest deal was four years. Everybody thought that was the greatest thing in the world when somebody got four years. So Yeah. <laughs> and, and you got to look at all the players you guys had. I mean, you guys won five Stanley Cups from 84 to 90, and you probably should have won at least the sixth one in between there. It, it you know and you had all those players but you know it was more spread out you had those three or four really good lines you had your role players you had your scores and i just think toronto's going to run to into some problems it is i mean it used to be it was about winning and not about who made the most money and how that worked you knew where you fit on the team and what where you belonged and what you had to do for the team to be successful and that was part of what you wanted whereas now everybody's kind of an individual business it's what's best for me instead of what's best for the team. Sure. And, and, you know, I, I think Marner kind of went about it wrong. And like I said, I have no problem with hockey players getting their money. These guys put their body out there. They've put their body out there since they were little kids. They've played through juniors, uh, minor leagues. They deserve to get paid when they show that they are good NHL players. But I, I think when it gets to the point sometimes to where you got to look at some of these guys and, and like uh, Marner, he kept saying, I want to be paid like Austin Matthews. I'm compared to Austin Matthews. Well, I was looking at it from a different point. I don't compare a forward to a center. I don't compare a right wing, left wing to a center because each guy brings something different to the table. You can't compare John Tavares' contract with Austin Matthews based on how long John Tavares has played and how long he showed he's a top tier player. And you can't compare Marner's contract to Matthews. But I always thought he was a little bit flawed in trying to compare that. Right. It's just the way the game's gone now. I mean, normally you would say, okay, where do I fit the team? What do I bring to the team? And can slot yourself in there. Where now players compare each other to players because everybody knows what each other makes. And back in the 80s, players didn't know what each other made. So you were trying to slot yourself into where you thought you fit in the team. And I think, obviously, as the game's changed, the salary cap era, you're going to get more and more of those comparisons and it's going to be harder and harder to fit guys under a salary cap. Yeah. The rumor is with the new CBA, they've got some good negotiations going, but some of the owners want to try to change the RFA structure to where these guys can only make so much. And, you know, I don't think the players association is going to go for that. As a player, if they're going to give you the money, there's no sense trying to handicap yourself. I mean, I think the reason they put the salary cap in was so that the owners can control themselves. Uh, you get you have certain owners you have certain owners that will pay anything to win, and they basically put the CBA in so that the owners have a leash on themselves so that they don't overspend. But they also you want owners that don't underspend either. So True. it's a, it's kind of a win lose situation on both sides. Yeah, because uh, where would the league be if every owner was like the Ottawa Senators owner? Well, you'd have some teams spend $20 million, you'd have other teams spend 100 So, I mean, that's that's the lopsided side of it if you didn't have a salary cap. Sure, it's going to be a few interesting weeks coming up, but I think most of these teams should get their players signed. Um, moving forward, we haven't talked since the Blues won the Cup, and I know you watch the Blues all the time. You watch hockey every night through the season. Uh this team just made so many strides and they didn't do it the easy way. Grant, they didn't sweep a team in four games. They didn't go five games. The first series 
against the Jets was six games. A second against Dallas was seven games. Then they went six, and then they went seven against the Bruins. It was definitely a team effort, but it's going to be even harder on this team, in my mind, to repeat because if you go back to 84 with your team when you won the Stanley Cup in 84 and 85, including those two years, Grant, there's only been five teams that have repeated since 84-85, and the Oilers did it twice. But you know from playing in those teams just how hard it is. Well, it's harder to repeat than it is to win the first time sometimes because you're going to play 82 games now. They're going to be hard games. You're not going to fool anybody. You're not going to get those sleeper games. Everybody's going to give you your best for 82 games. And also, it's a long season, especially when you play as many playoff games as they did. It's not a long summer to recover. So they're going right back into that grind. And now the grind's harder because you are the defending champion. Yeah, and I, I would think the true professionals have to just instantly change their mindset. Because if you don't change your mindset, you're going to get off to a slow start and you don't want to get off to a slow start. Because like you said, you're going to get the A game from everybody. I don't care if it's one of the worst teams in the league. I don't care if you play the Boston Bruins again, the Dallas Stars. They're, you're all going to have a big mark on your sweater and a mark on your head because you're last year's Stanley Cup champions. That's true. Defending champions always got the target on them. So I could see them getting off to a little bit of a slow start because it happened. I mean, even at Edmonton, we get off to slow starts. It takes time to get find your groove again and to ramp back up to the pace that you're going to have to play. And you're going to have to play a higher pace through the whole year than you did It's the year previous, just because that's the way it is. I mean, the Blues put a lot of hockey in last year at that high pace when they, starting in January, they basically played playoff hockey all the way through the year. And that takes a toll on you. So with a short summer and rolling right back into it again, it takes time to ramp yourself back up to that. Sure does, because basically they played all out for six months from the 1st of January until I think it was June 12th or June 13th when they won the game against the Bruins. And like you said, you can't do that night in and night out. I know every fan would like to see that, but if you did that night in and night out, Grant, after about 25 games, you'd have so many injuries, you wouldn't be able to put a team on the ice. Well, you'd be banged up and you'd have no gas left in the tank for the playoffs. So it's, it's they're going to have, I think they're going to have a successful year, but it's going to be harder more than anything is. And Craig Ruby knows that, that they're going to have to compete harder every night. And he's the perfect coach for it. Yeah. And I think it's all about keeping after it. And you guys proved it. you won the cup in 84, 85 Montreal won it in 86. You won it in 87, 88. The flames won it in 89. You guys won it in 90. It's all about being consistent. And I think most fans of the blues if the Blues lose in the third round this year, I think most fans would be happy about that because I think most fans realize, like you and I do, it's just hard. And what I've noticed is when you look, the the most recent team to win back-to-back, I believe, would be the Penguins, and their roster turned over. You know, that, that they kept their core guys, their first two lines, and they, they would bring some guys in, let some guys go, make some trades. And the Blues really didn't bring in anybody new. And I think when you do that sometimes – it, you may have a great season, but I think if you don't mix it up a little bit sometimes, some people can get complacent. Have you seen that happen, Grant, where some teams can get complacent when you don't bring in some fresh faces? I don't know if you get complacent or you just get tired. I think that's it. more than complacency is the guys get tired mentally. And the coaches have to monitor practice and the work that they put in in practice. You still have to do the work, but sometimes it's a little bit shorter when you can see the guys starting to drag a little bit. And, 
that's going to be the big thing this year is monitoring how they are mentally, physically, your body will still do it, but mentally you get tired. Sure. And speaking of getting tired, a lot of people are hoping that Jordan Bennington, the the star that brought the blues back from their dismal season, that little spark they needed. And then the rest of the players picked it up. I'm really hoping a lot of fans aren't going to be too upset with him. If he has, you know, a year that wasn't quite like last year, because if I'm not mistaken, his goals against was around 1.89 or 1.87 in the regular season had a great win-loss record, but he's never played a full season in the NHL. He's never been that guy to log 60, 65, 70 games. And you know, Grant, from some of the years you logged 70-plus games, uh, plus you played in the the World Championships those years, it's tough on a goalie to keep mentally sharp. And you and I have discussed it. That's 80% of the battle. All these guys that come up in the league, these goalies, they're talented when it comes to physical play, but it's hard to keep sharp mentally in the net. Well, that's the biggest thing. I mean, if he's going to play 65-plus games, mentally, you have to stay sharp. Physically, that's not a problem. I mean, you can always, physically, you'll be able to do it. It's convinced, your mind convinces the body. Basically, the six inches between your ears is the biggest muscle that has to be fit. So as as the year goes, there'll be some days where he's tired and they'll have to watch that and make sure he gets days off and that sort of thing just to keep him fresh. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people wanted uh, the blues to make a trade and get rid of Jake Allen to make some cap space. But in my mind, I think Jake Allen has proven he's an NHL goalie. He's had some bad times and sometimes I think things tend to get inside of his head a little bit, but I think the blues have something great. They've got a young goaltender that played well. He's proven he can play well in my mind, hey, if he even has a season where he's 2.4 goals a game and under, and he makes the big saves, because to me, and you and I have talked about it before, it's not necessarily the goals against. It's when you're 2-1, to 3-2, to 4-3, to 5-4, the other team has a breakaway. Is Can that goalie come and make that big save? Yeah, it's all about the right save, right time. And having Jake there, you're going to need two goalies over the course of a year. And I think Jake's a very capable goalie and is a very good NHL goalie. Yeah, he had some bad times along the way, and that happens to guys. But at the same time, he's going to be there to push Jordan, and it makes both of them better. Yeah, and we we talked about Stanley Cups, and we know there's so much going on with the offseason here, but you're going to be coming to St. Louis on the St. Louis premiere of your movie, Making Coco, the Grant Fear story, and it's a great opportunity for St. Louisans to see you that night, October 1st. At the Fox Sports Midwest Live, there's going to be a, a Q&A, I believe, with Kelly Chase. And if I'm not mistaken, Darren Pang. So it should be a great time, Grant. Why don't you tell the fans what it meant to you to play in St. Louis, uh, how you respected the fans, the time that you had here, the three years, and why you wanted to bring it to St. Louis to have a premiere. Well, I had a lot of fun in St. Louis and got a lot of support in St. Louis. I mean, that's one of the better organizations that I played in especially for the fan base. I mean, I think that was the great thing is the fan base was as good as anywhere I played and I enjoyed my time there. So I want to bring the movie down there, have a premiere down there and with Chaser and Panger, we'll have a little fun with the Q and a afterwards and have, it's, it's a great place. And I think it's a great place to bring the movie to. Yeah, I do too. Fans here are rabid. They all remember your time. I've talked to some either even younger people that were probably seven, eight years old, when you were in St. Louis and some of them still remember your time here. I think it's going to be a great time. I've been telling people to get tickets because I'm sure it's going to sell out quickly, 
But going back to the making of this movie, you had so many great people involved in it. You had your good friend Don Metz, who directed this uh, hockey-mentary, as I've called it. Uh, you had so many great ex-players. Uh, Freddie Brathwaite, who was your teammate in Calgary. You, Glenn Anderson, Kelly Chase, Paul Coffey, Theo Fleury. This was a great effort from top to bottom. The full production crew with Adam Scorgi, uh, Darren Benning, uh, just a bunch of great people were involved in this uh, hockeymentary. Well, that was the fun of it. I mean, I get you see a lot of old friends. I mean, that, I've had a chance to see all the interviews and a lot. Of, I wish I could show all the interviews uncut. I mean, that would be the fun part. But it would have the movie would have been about five hours long if we'd have done that. So just to see what your peers think of you. I think that was the greatest thing about doing the movie is you see the interviews because nobody ever really talks to each other about what they think of them playing. So to see the interviews, that sort of thing, you know, you've had a good career when most people speak favorably of you. So that was the fun part of doing the movie. Yeah. You know, unlike a lot of other sports, and I'm sure there are some guys in the NHL that play for the money, but what from I've seen guys play the game because they love the game. It, it's it's in their blood. They started when they were five, six, seven years old. Some of them a little bit younger, skating three, four years old. It's part of their life. It becomes them. But then they're also themselves off the ice. And I think this shows both sides of you. And, you know, you won all the Stanley Cups that you did. You had a long, a glorious career. But like you said, it's got to mean something when you hear guys that played with you. You know, a lot of people think, oh, it was Messier and Gretzky that, made the Edmonton Oilers tick. But if you talk to, to Mess and, and to Gretzky, uh, they're going to give you a lot of credit for that. And that's got to mean a lot to you. It does. And I mean, it shows that our team was basically a big family and everybody supported each other. And that's what made us a good hockey team is we cared for each other and we wanted to play for each other. And I think through the course of the movie, you realize how much that it was a family and that we did care for each other. And that's the fun part of it. Yeah, and you know, it's you're competitive in goal with people like Andy Moog and Freddie Brathwaite and John Casey and all the people that backed you up in your stops in the NHL. But if you talk to those guys, they just have great things to say about you. Freddie Brathwaite really loved playing with you. He talks about how much you meant, you know, to him and, and helping him improve his game. John Casey, you know, who already was an established goalie, still talks about in a very positive manner about you and Andy Moog, you know, you, you can't keep the guy shut up about you. He goes on and on about you. And, you know, I, I just, I can't believe all the nice things that people say about you, but getting to know you over the last year or so um, from interviewing you, uh, you're just that type of guy that uh, I'm sure was good in the locker room. Uh, you wanted the team to win. It was all about the team and not just about yourself. Yeah, I'm just a part of the team. And the biggest thing was, if I can help them, it makes them better. If they're better, then that forces me to be better, and it's a win-win. So part of my philosophy about playing goal is you have to have a good partner. I mean, there's not a starter and a backup. You're partners, and you're there to make each other better. And when I first started, there were no goalie coaches. So I had Ron Lowe as a partner to begin I had Ron Lowe as my partner to begin with. So if I had questions, I could ask him. And he helped me as much as anybody. So as I got older, when you have a younger partner, you're there to help them. And the fun part of coaching in Calgary and coaching in Phoenix is seeing the young guys and helping them get better. And a lot of it's not the talent things that everybody thinks it is. It's the mental side of the game, seeing different things, learning 
the different ins and outs of the game, reading the game. And it's the veterans that help you with that. Yeah, I, I think it's great when these young players accept help from guys that have been in the league a while, even guys that have only been in the league three or four years. They see some nuances that some of these kids that come you know, from the AHL, the ECHL, uh, foreign leagues over in Sweden and other parts of, of the country, it, they, they really need help when they come to the league. Because like you said, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have it between your ears, it's going to show up very quickly. It does. And it helps them transition which makes it more comfortable for them. If they're more comfortable, they play better. So I think that's the biggest thing. And as a goalie, it's not just the goalies you help. You help your defensemen, and you can help forwards learn how to score because you know what goalies you're thinking. So it's kind of an all-around job as a goalie. Yeah, it is. It's it, a, a goalie can make a difference not only when it comes to his partner in the net, but a goalie can set the tone for a team and, and in a game. You make some big saves at the beginning – that adrenaline gets rushing from the forwards, the centers, the defensemen get physical because they're excited into the game, and you just all feed off each other. And that's a sign of a good team, and that's what St. Louis did last year. Jordan made the big saves when he needed to, and everybody fed off of that, and it just made them a better team because everybody wanted to play for each other. The St. Louis premiere of Making Coco is going to be October 1st at Fox Sports Midwest Live. Grant, can you tell them where they can get tickets at for that? I believe if you still go to makingcoco.com, there's a few tickets left. And I know we're coming in early. I think we're coming in at the end of the month for a couple of days. And then we're going to stay a couple of days afterwards. So the Q&A will be a lot of fun. And you get a chance to see some of the guys around. And hopefully I get, I'm still around for the home opener. I'm looking forward to that. Great. Uh, I Hopefully we'll see you there. And I hope to see you there at the premiere. But if those folks can't make the premiere, I want to let everybody know that there's going to be some great showtime at some local theaters, Ronnie Cinema, Marcus O'Fallon Theaters, a couple other Marcus Theaters in St. Charles and Arnold and Chesterfield. So if you can't make it to Fox Sports Midwest Live October 1st, by all means, go there. You won't be disappointed. I know the type of stuff that Don Metz does and Adam Scorgi does. Adam's a good friend of mine, and I it's going to be a great evening. And uh, Grant, I hope to see you there, and I appreciate you joining me. It's my pleasure, Lance. I look forward to seeing you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Drop Podcast. To get more of The Drop, check out our website at droppodcast.com. You can also find us on Google Play, iTunes, and the iHeartRadio app. You can follow us on Instagram at the.drop.podcast or on Twitter at Drop Hockey Show. You can email The Drop Podcast or host Lance DeScott at lanced at droppodcast.com. To find out more about Lineup Media, go to lineupmedia.fm. Until next time, let's go Blues! This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.